Hello, welcome to Mortality and Me. This is the one with Sonia Kimpton Deville. So let's not waste any time. Let's meet the lovely lady herself. Hi, Sonia. Good morning. I have um, I've learned stuff about you in the grown-up world. You um, after 20 years working from startup to corporate, you now have a startup in your own right, and you're the founder of Grapevine. Sonia is on the steep founder learning curve. Oh, learning curves. We like them. And you're not really frightened of getting out of your own comfort zone, are you? Uh, you also help other businesses navigate the journey of business transformation. That sounds very, very grown up. So let's tell me a bit about the grown up side of you first. Okay, so my history is in um, managing operations and developing businesses and helping businesses transform. So quite often businesses know where they are now and where they want to be but they don't know how to get there. They struggle with the how. So I help them make that as easy as possible and have an executable plan. Uh, but for the last 18 months, I've been working on my own startup, Grapevine, which is to help people and businesses connect more intelligently so that you can maximize opportunity. We all go out, network, connect, but we don't always take make the most of those opportunities that we, we, uh, we create. So Grapevine helps people to do that. So, well, congratulations on starting up, and now we're in lockdown. It must be quite interesting for you finding uh, diverse ways of conducting your business, and also, and also yeah. taking time out to spend with me this morning. I know, such a delight on a Monday morning. Um, yeah, no, it, it is. It is quite a challenge um, because you're looking at investment and that type of thing. Of course, the whole world has gone on pause. So I think this is when your your true grit and resilience really comes through and you have to dig deep. And and it makes you reevaluate what you're doing and, and say, right, okay, is this truly, truly what I want to do? Is it the right thing? And for me, so far, it's been a, a definite yes. So it's that persistence. You've been asking yourself the right questions. Yes. And talking of questions, I've got another one here. I mean, Mortality and Me, we are opening the conversation here about everything to do with death, dying, in between, before that and after that. So today we're having a general chat, but we've got a little bit of a theme coming through that will become apparent later. But just to get a feel on, on where you stand, I mean, why do you think it is so scary? What's so scary about talking about death? I think, and I'll, go, I'll speak for myself, I think it's perhaps that fear of the unknown. But if I really dig deep in me, I think as someone who's very logical, very practical, very in control, organised, it's something I can't control. It's something I can't say, right, this is how it's going to happen. This is when it's going to happen and put that structure in place. So I think that's it's so out of my control that that's when you start. I personally get a bit like, oh, right, OK, OK. And I have what's called a moment and I'll say to my husband, it's fine. I'm just having a moment. And now he kind of knows just to let me just get over it and move on. So, yeah, it's. I think it's that fear of the unknown and potentially that fear of not being in control. And where do you think that might stem from? I believe that it stems from being the master of my own destiny. I, I like to do that. And uh, I don't, I'm very independent and don't like to be dependent on other people. And I make the decisions and choices and create the choices that I have in my life. And this is something that I can't do that about. So I think that's where it strives from is where I don't like to be at the mercy of other people and what have you. So this means that I am at the other at the mercy of something else that I can't do anything about. Do you, um, 
do you remember your first experience with death with an animal or, or person i do um, i i do in a, in a vagueish way um when i was four i had a sister that died of cot death okay. um, and we shared the same room and and i was i was a bit of a brat actually if i'm honest uh, I was a bit spoiled and, and I was a bit of brown. I was quite mean, not not to her, not physically, but I was quite mean and said things to my mum when I was little that was a bit spiteful. Um, and then <clears throat> the day that it happened, I happened to be staying at my nan and granddad's. And I, I do remember there being a phone call um, and my granddad going off. But, but honestly, that's about as much as I can remember. But that was my first real exposure to it at four years old. But I, I know, sort of reflecting back, I think I'm, I'm glad I wasn't there. And I know that's being a bit personal, but I'm glad I wasn't there um, because of the spiteful things I'd said, and you know, and how might that have been perceived. Yeah. But but I also that as I've got older, I've reflected as well on that because when you're a kid, <coughs> like my mum, um, that was her you know, her baby, and um, obviously on the, the birthday of my sister and, and stuff, my mum would be upset and what have you. And it was very difficult to empathise with that in some way because she was only four months old. It wasn't until I'd had my own children, they got to four months old, and I thought, oh, my God, now I, now I can truly understand how she must feel because you have built that bond and that relationship. So that yeah. was my first my first one um but then uh moving on from that my dad tragically died when i was 12 in a car accident um so but obviously that i've got a lot more memories around that um and it, it was quite a big family impact because two of our family members died one survived so that was that was quite a significant impact on family so that was really my my more aware exposure to death do you, have any, do you have any beliefs about um, or thoughts or conceptions of life after death? It's a fascinating area because some people say they're symbols. I mean, I'm wearing my feather earrings today. Um, it would have been my mum's birthday and it's my first of first without my mum. So I'm being naughty and going to get into trouble like I would if she was still here. But there, there are certain symbols and things that maybe give us a sign or, or anything like that, that that triggers with you. Oh, oh, lots. Yeah, lots. And I... Um, and I can I could probably ramble and fill through three hours of it, but yeah, absolutely. And, and it was that belief stems back right through my dad's family, at least to my nan, and even um, life after death and reincarnation, but sort of both. So um, you know that my dad, when he was a child, they lived in London. My nan had five children; they didn't have lots of money. And my dad went on a school trip to a big posh house. And when they got back, the teacher said to my nan, oh, oh, Mike, Michael's been there before. And my nan said, no, no, he hasn't. We don't, we haven't got the, the money and stuff to go to, to historic buildings and stuff. And they said, well, Michael knew where there was a door that led to the servants' quarters. And, and she said, and it's been boarded up now. There's no door now there. But, but, but Michael knew there was one there. And my nan was like, well, I can tell you, he's not been there before. Um, and I, and I, so I do believe in that. I mean, I remember as a child, probably about six or seven, and uh, and maybe all children have this thought: of, why why was I put into this body? Why am I in this one? Why have I been put into this body? What's going on? 
and you kind of when you, and I like to just try and understand things and be open to stuff and I think oh you wonder if, if that was there something there that it was something from previous coming through and um and then again my all my family come from London and I was the first one born in Kent um and I went to a primary school and then when I was about 13 I remember saying to my mum and stuff where's the big house that's gone there used to be a massive house next to my primary school or my infant school sorry my infant school um and I can even now visualize it, it had big double windows top and bottom a big steps up to it, double doors and um and it used to be there and my mum said no no I have no idea so I asked my aunts and, and my nans and that of course they'd all moved from London so there was no history in Kent to say oh yeah yeah and and this just sort of stayed with me for a long long time and then when I was about 18 uh, my friend and I I kept sort of talking to him about it and he said come on let's go find out uh, ironically he's also passed over as well now um, but he said, uh, come on, let's go find it. We went to the Ashford Library and got out the maps and, and everything of 1902. And next to the the infant school where I was at, there was, because I'd always said, it's next to the infant school, and it, but it was something to do with children and it was something to do with younger children, not children of, of uh, infant school age. And when we got this big map out, there was a place called Millbank Nursery right next door to it. And you can almost see now where there used to be a building. I think the infant school might have even gone now as well because it was a really old building. But there used to be Millbank Nursery right on the end of it. And then and it was it's very bizarre. And you think, maybe, may, may, you know, maybe, oh, my God, I've come back to Ashford. What's that all about? Oh, this really it's in Ashford school. Yeah, yeah. What What is the importance? So I do definitely, definitely believe in um, in life after death. And I, I do believe in symbols, and I, I think it's all—it's a very individual thing, you know. It's not the same for everyone. Um, and again, I think it comes down to that openness. I, I believe that, and I, I not look for symbols, but I think if you're open to things, they will make themselves known. So, um, I was told that you know feathers—if if we see white feathers, there we are. It's a sign of a, a guardian angel. Um, and I've actually got into the habit, I walk my dog every morning and I see a white feather floating away and I go, thank you. So yes. I'm now thanking feathers when I see them. Um, I don't uh, think that's bizarre. I, I think I think that's quite natural when you, when you have that that belief. I think uh, I do the same thing at the park. And um, the other day I was driving and I had the roof down and a feather, the travel lights just came and landed on the on the on the car and I just went thank you because the number plate attached to the car and the car itself was a gift just before my father passed away and it just made me go no and that's I like that kind of symbolism that makes you remember a person in, in a lovely way and um, so like yesterday memory popped up and I thought rather than got sad about it I remembered the day and then started to remember how much we laughed and oh how much I used to get into trouble and all sorts of things and I ended up having quite a nice memory replay back in the in my head but back onto like the, you know the um being here before perhaps what do you think about you know old souls and new souls have you ever had that kind of thought process um it's like some people you look at and you think or you meet you go you've been here before yeah there's a wisdom yeah. about you um nothing that no one that immediately springs to mind um but, but if this is really random and, and sort of a bit off, but 
my dad's birthday was the 1st of April, or is the 1st of April, so he was born on April Fool's Day. And my previous dog, my German Shepherd that I loved, um, his mum was born on the day my dad died, and my dog was born on the day my dad was born. So I'm like, perhaps my dad's coming back in through the dog. And uh, yeah, you start. Yes. Find, uh, isn't that isn't that lovely to to maybe find comfort in that thought in itself? I think yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, finding comfort. I had a conversation with someone the other day, and it was about new and old souls. And uh, she's definitely an older soul, and you can tell by the conversations you're having. And then I made a comment that politicians are new souls because they haven't got a clue. <laughs> And I never yeah. enter into politics, but it just came out and it's got me thinking even more about how some people you just connect with and 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 you know, and it's like you meet a friend sometimes and you just trust them implicitly immediately yeah. the right decision. But there's just there's just a wonderful connection between between people, um, which is which is lovely. But I'm gonna be a bit nosy now. I'm gonna find out a bit more about you because the Sonia Kimpton Deville, the grown-up business lady, let's find out what one song piece of music or song would sum up your life see i'm 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 really greedy i don't know if there's one and i i i, I know I, i'm a massive massive fan of music of, of all genres and, and it's you know even from little we've always had music on in our family um and there are so many songs but i i think if you were to ask other people about a song about me it would be things that i'm remembered for um <laughs> Right. <laughs> that could be interesting. Yeah, it's dangerous. Um, so, so Radar Love, for example, by Golden Earring is one that I'm renowned for dancing to, and, and I like, do the whole song. And it's like a CV workout. It's, and and it was the song comes on, and, and we're in the pub, and everyone's looking for me. Where is she? <laughs> or, or an ACDC song, anything like that. <clears throat> but I have got songs that. Um, the, the one which is quite a new song, but I love it, and it literally makes my hair stand up on end and my arms, is that this is me, and I love it. Even just saying it just makes me go, because it comes on, I'm like, oh, my God, this is, and, and you have to sing it as loud as you can. So I know it's quite a newish song, really, but, but right now I think this that sums me up. This is me, you know, warts and all, scars, the, whatever it is, this is me, take it or leave it. Yeah, I kind of can relate to that a little bit. Yeah. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, in your songs, I was thinking because um, I I practice as a funeral celebrant, and I quite often have to ask people what music they would like their loved one to come in in the middle and go out to. Um, and it's quite difficult because sometimes they go, they don't know what music their loved one was actually into, and um, it, it's quite fascinating when you start to get an insight of how perhaps little we know about some of the the grandparents, etc., and what they're really into. But um, I was thinking about it as well, that I had a conversation, there's a good death and a bad death. Mm. And first time I heard those two phrases together, I was really like, what? And then it got me thinking, so just from your opinion, what would you understand as being a good death? I think a good death is where you celebrate, you know that they've, They've lived a life, you know. Typically, I would see that as an older person who has had a good life. <clears throat> They've come to a natural end, if you like, you know. Not, not, 
not horrendously painful. I mean, a lot of deaths are uncomfortable, but not horrendously painful. And it was the right time. You know, if I, if I think of my grandparents as 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 I say mortifying as it is, but as, as devastating as it is, we are a family who like a party. Um, and actually, their wakes was a, a really good celebration. And you know, having a party or, or having getting together and having a really good time, having the music on and laughing and telling each other members. So that I see as someone who's is a good death, you know. If you, mm. I think that 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 yeah. But I think that if you're going to ask me about a bad death, you know, then I've obviously got a different opinion. But I think being able to celebrate, you're comfortable celebrating their life. Um, have you um what are your thoughts on actually being near or visiting or seeing a person who's actually passed away in their body i i i that's a massive massive struggle for me um i i didn't see my dad i was only 12 um and obviously the circumstances that he died in um and i've tried to i had a a, a very very close friend of mine who uh, died in an accident when we was both 37 and I'd had the coffee with her on the Thursday and on the Friday morning got a phone call to say that she'd been found at the bottom of the stairs um, and that um, sure, that's, that's just made me go off the question and I went to see her uh, I, I tried to go see her my husband and I went to see her in the chapel of rest and although it's strange because although I believe in life after death and and, and all the symbols and everything else, I, I stood at the door to poke, poke my head around. And as I poked my head around, I, I caught a glimpse of her arm and just freaked and run. I had to run out and I just couldn't, couldn't, could not deal with it. And then my granddad um, passed away in hospital. And I stood, this is like midnight in the hospital, and my, all my family are in there. And they said, Do you want to see him? I was like, I'll try. And I sort of stood beside the curtain and I sort of poked my head around, sort of again, sort of glimpse of the body and just freaked and run. And uh, But then when my nan died, she was at a care home and I was there with my mum and my sisters. And again, you know, she passed away. She was still laying in bed and they said, do you want to come in? And I said, right, OK, I will try. And I, I did it sort of really slowly. And I did actually manage to go in the room and I did stand with her. Um, I couldn't touch her. Uh, but and then we were sorting out her clothes and, and literally she'd been passed away about a few minutes and was looking at what clothes that she might want we you know what do we dress her in to, to, for the funeral directors to collect her and that was the first time I was able to but it it, it makes me that I struggle with that personally yeah not surprising really I mean it is one of those things and unfortunately we're living in the COVID-19 era, era at the moment and so there are no visits to the chapel of rest uh, there is none of that going on and also people are unable to attend funerals in their masses you know it's very limited that we are we are in very challenging times but i think what has come out of this time as well is that there is comfort in in the way people are being able to share stuff like this being able to talk i mean we, this is only the second recording of mortality in me the live stream and already we've had a few emails in from people who want to share experiences and and how things have changed my background today is a glitter ball uh, that is because I've delivered an online service, a ceremony celebrating someone's life who was very into music, very disco oriented sort of thing. So I presented in front of the, the glitter ball. And I think we still have to find ways to to respect um, the dead and the dying and start to have these conversations. Yeah. So, um, 
it's it's it is very strange times but i think as a as a community we're all all doing that you know we're, we're actually all coming together and i'm engaging with a lot of people in that so just to close up a close up what advice would you give to someone um, who is suffering a loss and it might be more difficult for them at the moment because they are unable to attend but how would you point someone in the in the direction of being able to grieve i think you have to give yourself permission to grieve know that it's a very very individual thing so what's worked for me won't work necessarily work for you um and, and kind of go with the flow. I mean, I'm quite a practical person, so I think perhaps I I withdraw slightly and become very practical. You know, what do we need to get done? How do, you know, is everything being organised that needs to be organised or whatever else? But I then perhaps grieve um, not so openly in front of people, quite private like that. Um, but, but if you're someone that just wants to be quiet and, and just hide away for a bit, then give yourself permission to do so. Um, I, th I think one of the big pieces of advice is, is that to talk about them. When when you feel comfortable, is to talk about those people um, and still have them as part of your life. They're not. They might be gone, but their memory isn't. It, you know, you still got. You know, my children have never met my dad, and my nieces and nephews have never met my dad, but they talk about him as though they knew him. You know, he's still a big part of our family conversations and. What granddad Mick would do and would like, and uh, and so my children will let, bring him up in conversations if they knew him. So when when it's right for you, when you're comfortable, don't lose, don't don't put them in a box and put them away. Still have them as part of your life and, and present in that way. But give yourself permission to grieve. Um, talk to them. You know, I I, I talk to my in my, when, I, when I'm working. I, there's a photo of my dad and my nan and my granddad amongst other people. And I'll sometimes say, oh, look, come on, give me a sign, do something, something just to let me know you're around or whatever, or, you know, or I'll say, oh, thank, thank you, or, or whatever else. But just just have have them there as that memory. And I, But I think also you, you never, except I think that you never get over it. That's the, the thing is you never get over it, but you learn to get on with it. You know, and it's, it's, you'll never, never, ever, because I think getting over it is the wrong expression. You should, you'll never get, get over losing someone, but you you have to get on with it and, and move on because you can't change it. And be grateful that you need oh. them as part of your life. How lovely, though, to keep those memories alive. And, and the great thing about memories is that they can never be taken away from you. They're yours to pull on whenever you need and Absolutely. very resourceful. Sonia, it has been fantastic and lovely talking to you about a subject that a lot of people are afraid to talk about, and I think you're you're one of these people that's now proving that it is great to talk about something, and even like especially as you're saying at the end, in grief is to allow yourself to talk, and I think talking, especially in in circumstances that put stress on our lives in any any situation, is a wonderful thing to do. So I thank you for your time today, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you very soon. Thank, thank you. Take care. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye.